0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Fieldwork Podcast. I'm Mitchell Hora, and this is a podcast by farmers for farmers. Thanks to the Walton Family Foundation for supporting the podcast this season, but today is a really sad episode. I'm flying solo. I don't have have Zach with me today. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't, don't know how to move on on my own. Just lonely in my redneck recording studio, all by my lonesome. But... The other day, I did get to hang out with Zach a lot. He actually came down to my field day, and t- in today's episode, we are going to share some of the really cool content that we had at the field day that I hosted at the Washington County Fairgrounds. So, talking about you know scaling sustainable agriculture, we're going to hear from one of my biggest mentors and, and one of the real idols of the whole soil health movement, and we jokingly call him the legend, uh, Dr. Rick Haney along with his wife, Dr. Liz Haney, developed the Haney Soil Health Test. They had some other help in there as well, but he's been working at the USDA Grassland Soil and Water Research Lab. It's down in Temple, Texas. He's been there for 19 years. For simple thought process on how, on how I think about the Haney Test versus regular soil sampling is that the Haney Test is utilizing those plant exudates to look at the soil's current assets. What's actually available to the plant at that time that you pull the soil sample, what's available today. A regular soil analysis or a traditional analysis, it looks at the soil's intermediate assets. It utilizes a strong acid to be able to break apart some of those soil uh, nutrient bonds and be able to assess what should come available over the next growing season. Then we utilize calibration to be able to make a soil fertility recommendation based on your yield goal. For me, I like the Haney test because I need to know what's actually coming available to the plant. What's actually there in the organic form and in the inorganic form and being able to just more so, you know, understand mother nature, understand that soil is a biological system and that plants can only see nutrients if they are actually biologically available to help that plant live and and thrive. And with a better understanding of, what the plant is actually seeing in the soil, we can fine-tune our fertilizer placement, our fertilizer rates. And for my family farm, we've actually been able to decrease our need of synthetic fertilizer by 45%, and that drives real dollars to our bottom line. So here we'll turn it over to our producer, Andy Baxter, who was able to catch up with Dr. Haney and spend a few minutes asking him about his famous test. Tell me...
1: How, how this test came about for you?
2: Well, that's an interesting question, and I guess the answer is it came about through a, a small series of, of epiphanies, and the number one epiphany being that soil's alive. It's very important because the way you treat something that's alive is a very treat, very different than how you would treat something that was static or dead. And so it was, it's a whole new approach, like for example, uh, the microbes in the soil that make the system go, that make the grass green and do all these different things by supplying nutrients is that you know, they take in oxygen just like we do and give off CO2. And that's, and we can do, capture that CO2 and measure uh, how active they are. So if there's a bunch of microbes doing a lot of work, they, the, the respiration rate will be higher. So that, that's a fun little indicator to show that A, your soil's alive and B, how alive is it? So long story short, I really have been a fan of nature and I've really tried to to mimic nature in the laboratory setting as best as we can because it struck me that if we just take soil samples and take them in the lab and throw chemistry at it it's never seen what does that mean is uh, is that something that's useful well we we decided it was and then we we're going to oh we're going to calibrate all this information but you're calibrating it against incorrect numbers to start with based on systems that are outdated that aren't working anymore so it was a whole new line of thinking. It's like, this soil's alive. We're going to test it now to see what kind of food it has in it for microbes, how well they respond to it, how balanced is that food, and what can we do to improve it. And what year was that? I was actually in graduate school in 1996, and that's really where it began. Now, it wasn't until about 2008 that it all came together. And actually, there was an instrument that, that evolved, that measured uh, carbon and nitrogen at the same time. And that showed up about 2010. Once that instrument showed up and I was like, oh my God, I, that I can use that. And, that. and then the whole thing really kind of came together. So the Haney test is not a one, it's just not a test. It's, it's, it's like five or six, seven different tests. And we integrate all that information together to try to make, see a picture. The biggest difference is we're trying to get the soil to talk to us instead of trying to get it in the lab and beat the information out of it you know it's, it's a very different approach it's a more passive approach and I, I think a more accurate approach
1: so the problem you were trying to solve at the time was what you were in this in the field where people were not looking at this living biology uh, and what was like to what end were you doing this work
2: the problem I was trying to solve is I, I worked for farmers for a long time when I was younger and they, they you know one of their biggest inputs was fertilizer inputs and they don't really have control over their commodities, you know, they don't have good control over seed cost or you know, equipment cost or any of that stuff. But the one thing that they have a decision that they can make every year is how much fertilizer do I put on? That's one still within their grasp. And so we were trying to show that A, the soil's alive, B, the soil's gonna naturally give you some nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium fertilizer for free, and we should be accounting for that so you don't have to spend quite so much on fertilizer. So we the test was originally developed. To, to hopefully sustain yields and, and cut back on fertilizer because we were over-fertilizing.
1: Tell me just exactly how it works, uh, what you're measuring, how long it takes. I mean, do you have to do this test repeatedly over how long of a period of time just so people know exact and how it? What are the costs of, of doing it just so like farmers have a really clear sense of it?
2: Well, it's it's $50 a sample and most people balk at that. You know, it's like, but the fun part is the standard test that we, we're used to paying $10 or $12 for, you know, Doesn't really tell you anything about the health of your soil, if it's alive or if it's dead, or how well it's doing, or what we can do to help it. It, You know, it's it's an evolution of 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 testing, and you know that that's an important aspect of it. But but we're going to give you here's how much N P and K is in your soil right now. This is what it's worth. We give you a dollar figure associated with what that is, and so you have the fertilizer aspect of it. You can you know use a fertilizer calculator to maybe reduce your fertilizer rate a little bit based on this test. And then you've got the whole other part, that's the soil health perimeters. So here's your food source. This is how active the, the microbes are on your food source. And here's the balance of your food source. So we, we have all these integrated indicators. And then we give you a soil health score to, to kind of show you where you're at. And what we really try to emphasize is this is not a competition between you and your neighbor. This is a competition between you and yourself. So a lot of times we would suggest that farmers take a sample from their field, a composite sample, and then go to their fence row and take another composite sample because you're not farming that. And there's your benchmark. And then see how far off you are from that, you know, because it's your climate, your geography, your soil, that you're not farming it. So it's a real nice comparison between if you really want to know where you're at in your soil and, and. in your journey and, you know, if you need something to measure against, that's a fun way to do it. So it it is a reflection not only of that point in time, but of your management and what got you here. If you look at a field, you look at fields that are side by side and one's been conventionally tilled, monoculture, you know, weed on weed and weed or whatever, and the field next door has had crop rotation, cover crops and no till. You're going to see a big difference in scores, a big difference in nutrient availability, and all that. Even though it's a one point in time, that that change is real, and, you can, and we can pick that up. And if you start down the journey of soil health, you can track over the years of how you're changing it, and it helps farmers give them a little inspiration to, hey, these indicators are starting to move in the right direction, you know. And so that's that gives them the courage. We were trying in the beginning to give farmers the courage to back off their fertilizer just a little bit, 10, 20%. We gave them those numbers to show hook. Here's the scientific basis that you can back that off and feel comfortable. And so, because they need encouragement to do that because they've been doing it for so long, you know, the way they were.
1: And so, yeah, I think we've, it's funny, for all the times we've we've referenced your, your test on the podcast, I don't think we've ever explained like, so if someone wants to do it, what do they do? Like they,
2: there's several uh, commercial labs that offer it. Okay. We used to do it for free at USDA uh, because we just wanted to, you know, offer that as a free service. Uh, it, it, that's a funny one, too, because, it, you know, USDA is the part I work for. is an agricultural research service. And we had a administrator one time say, well, should you be doing this, you know, giving this free soil analysis away? And I said, well, so well, we work for ARS. And I said, what's that S stand for? And he said service. I went, oh. And he was like, okay. Get, go ahead, you know that was a fun <laughs> moment for me. I, but I really I felt like you know the taxpayers paid my salary and, and you know we should give back something. And so we and we wanted to introduce them to something new and different. that did, they that didn't cost them a bunch of money to try to jump out there and do. But the commercial labs have taken it and it's kind of it's got a life of its own. We closed the lab June first because uh, I'm going to retire June thirtieth, so that'll be the end of that. But you know it's out there. There's some new labs that are running it. So I mean really all you got to do is. Look up some of these labs that run it, and they'll, you can find it.
0: And this
1: is probably a really stupid question, but does a farmer do the, the testing him or herself, or does someone come out and do it?
2: Either way, that you just need to pull the soil samples uh, yeah. and, and send them to whatever lab. and yeah. Get your
3: information.
2: yeah, I'm sure you could hire somebody to pull this. I hate pulling soil samples. I mean, I hate it. But, but, but we started a new system where we use a cordless drill with an auger, a wood auger. That's so much easier than the probes and all the other stuff. So, cause you're just augering that soil up into a bucket, you know, so there's easier ways to do it than, than we've commonly done it in the past. But yeah, okay. you can get it done.
1: And so a lot of people have been saying, you know, for the carbon markets, they, they kind of want to see the Haney test used as, as sort of the benchmark.
2: I, I think it, well, no, it won't be the benchmark. It'll be a part, I think it'll be a part of it because I, I think we're not going to be able to measure one thing and, and jump out there with trillion dollar carbon markets. Now, come on now. Yeah, we're going to have to do better than that. So I think it's going to be multifaceted system. There'll be a lot of measurements because if we're going to have this trillion dollar market of carbon, then surely to God, we could come up with a set of tests that work together to get, get us to the right point. So I think that's going to be a work in progress. And and I think, yeah, that it has a place in it, in that, but it's not the only fertilizing.
1: And how much has the uh, the series of tests changed over time, like what what's different from what you initially were doing oh it, it, it hasn't changed all that much because those those
2: principles are pretty basic we we've, we've developed some more sensitive instruments to measure it but but the basic premise of, of using water as an extractant you know because it rains water, you know I developed my own soil extract for different things because it 's modeled after what a plant root does, so plant roots will will make and drop organic acids out their roots to solubilize nutrients around the root zone. And so we made an extract that mimics that. And so, and, and it had changed over the years and, and it took about four iterations to get it where it needed to be, but we got
1: it there. How much resistance do, do you encounter with, with these concepts? I mean, are, do you feel like people are getting educated on it? Like farmers are kind of coming along on it?
2: Yeah, I'd say in the last five or six years they're starting to come along. There's been an enormous amount of resistance and and I always attribute it to like, say let's like, say you've got a battleship in the harbor and you're trying to turn it with a rowboat that's that's what it feels like because you know we've been doing the same thing for a long time but what what's interesting to me and I use the, you know just like your your phone there you're not carrying a rotary dial phone in your pocket. Technology advances, and so, are, so should our understanding. And, and our soil testing methods were made in the fifties and sixties, and you know seventies. And come on now, that, it's it's about the only thing that hasn't changed. And so, we're trying to drag soil testing into the twenty first century a little bit. And you know this is not the end. We're just at the beginning of new understanding.
1: How widespread within agriculture is the use of your test? I mean, is it principally row crop or are folks doing this with uh, other other crops as well, vegetables?
2: Yeah, it's principally row crop, I'd say, but we, it's it's very versatile because it measures those fundamental things in a soil. So it doesn't really matter if it's a range or a pasture or a native range or row crop or gardens or vegetables. It, it, it's applicable to about anywhere that's got soil.
1: In terms of like the carbon markets and stuff, somebody might have been one of Mitchell's colleagues was saying, you know, really the um, bigger impacts of, of what were all these practices would be on, on water more so than on, on carbon. Would you agree with
2: that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Water's huge. I mean, no-till cover crop fields, even our conventional till cover crop fields at the research station are, are right next to a conventionally tilled field. And we'd get a three or four inch rain, nothing runs off our fields. And it, I mean, it's just a river coming off the other field. So if you can't get the water in the soil, you know, that's a red flag. Somebody's trying to tell you something. And so that's that's very important. If we want to have clean water in the future, we have to have healthy soil above it.
1: And how about, um, you know, just within USDA, <laughs> how, like how, uh I don't know, how receptive have people been to your ideas? Is that, is it uh, gotten, have they gotten good traction?
2: So it was interesting because a lot of the scientists were uh, against it because it's so different. And, and, you know, might have stepped on some of their research and and, and that's fine. I understand that. But, it, but the farmers treated it the same way. It's like, oh, no, you can't do that. You know, it's, so it was just pretty much universally you can't do that. Just like they said, you can't use water as it isn't extracted. Well, but it rains water. And then they're like, oh, wait, okay. Ended up, I, uh, USDA uh, gave me several awards uh, all like within two years. Ended up getting the Secretary's Honor Awards from the Secretary of Agriculture a couple years ago and because of the soil test. So, you know, they're, they're starting to see that maybe this is is gonna help and be a little bit different. But, you know, it's not about that. And everybody's like, well, it's the Haney test. It's like, well, no, it's nature's test. They just associated my name with it. You know, I called it the soil health nutrient tool when I I first, uh, some of the labs started calling it that. So that's where that came, I never called it that. But, and it's weird for me to say it even now, I think.
1: What are you gonna do in retirement?
2: I uh, keep working. I'm probably going to go to the private sector. I've had a few hour, uh, offers and uh, you know, I'm still trying to figure that out right now. I'm still trying to just get my head around the fact that I'm going to retire. <laughs> and, you know, and my wife and our children and our dogs are all here in a, in an RV, which is also new. And so, yeah, I, I won't. It's not the end of me yet. So, for, so yeah, there's going to be Liz told me the other day she's like, well, you know, now that your career is over. And I said, what? I said, no, no, my career's not over. We're still, we're still going.
1: You know? I thought you were going to do the laundry now.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah ex- hey, I've been doing, just for the record, I've been doing my laundry all the time because I was single for 18 years before I met her, and I, I know how to do laundry. So that's not a problem.
1: <laughs> have you come teach my husband then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, that was really great. And Dr. Haney's legacy is definitely sure to live on for a long, long time. And it's really been interesting for me to see how his test has continued to grow and expand around the world. And there's tons of farmers now that are utilizing it to really be able to help them to progress their operation as they switch their system from being very conventionally driven and being chemistry driven to being very biologically driven. And the test is allowing them to quantify that. One of the key farmers who is quantifying the changes that he's making to his farm is farmer Rick Clark. And he's a good buddy of ours. We've had on the podcast before. And Rick is farming about 7,000 acres in Western Indiana, fifth generation on his farm. And he has really been pushing hard on adopting a regenerative organic system where he is able to... Adopt the organic practices and not utilize synthetic fertilizer or any pesticides and do it without tillage, allowing the biology to really drive. Rick has been able to shift from being in a conventional system, that was corn and soybeans, into that full regenerative organic program. And it's taken him multiple years, uh, but he's really been able to make those soil health principles work to keep the armor on the soil, keep living roots, minimize disturbance Implement diversity and integrate livestock. So, really hitting on all of the soil health principles. We had him out to my field day, and here's just a little taste of the talk that he gave explaining his operation and talking to all the farmers.
4: When we got started in this cover crop no till, it was because it was a reaction to something that was going on that was erosion. The soil is too precious to let get away from us. We were some of the worst tillers in the county. Uh, We prepped a field, we got a one-inch rain event, and the the field moved to the road and was headed down the ditch, and that's when it hit me, and I said, this is enough. So now, as we've evolved, now the cover crops are, are becoming our ally, because not only are they helping with erosion, but now the cover crops are helping our bottom line because we are now heading into year eight of not applying any P or K. And we are in year three of no nitrogen. We can farm without all of these inputs. Let's figure out how to keep moving forward and make it happen.
0: Rick Clark's program is super impressive and amazing to be able to do a four-pass program on 7,000 acres, where really all he does is plant cover crop, plant his cash crop in the spring, roller crimp the cover crop, and terminate the cover crop and suppress the weeds, and then harvest. And that's it. So really, really cool system, but awesome that he's able to utilize data and utilize the Haney test to be able to help him to tell a story and be able to help other farmers to navigate along the way. So at the field day, we had the unique opportunity to bring both of these Ricks together, both Dr. Rick Haney and Rick Clark. And so we got them on a panel discussion talking about the bigger conservation picture and how we can scale sustainable agriculture. But also data is really important. And what you'll hear a lot about is this Haney soil health test and how that just continuously resonates across these different farms. Now they've been able to utilize that to really improve their operation and have success by lowering risk when implementing these soil health principles. We added to the panel, Jessica Nadd. She helped to moderate and she's the executive director for Great Plains Regeneration. We also had my dad, Brian Hora. We had farmer, Russell Hedrick. He came in from North Carolina. And with that group, we were able to really talk about the diverse perspectives there, scaling regenerative ag all around the whole country and how you've got to have data, you got to be able to work with other farmers and continue to be transparent here as we learn and knowing that as more farmers are brought to the table, that they are definitely not alone. There's lots of resources and tons of different organizations and companies and individuals that really want to make this succeed. Hope you enjoy this panel. Jessica, take it away.
3: My name is Jessica Nadd and I'm the executive director and co-founder of Great Plains Regeneration. We are a new nonprofit working in the regions of the Great Plains, and our goal really is to focus on soil health, soil health education, watershed restoration, and developing new markets. Let's get right into it, because I really want to tack on to what Rick Clark was talking about on his presentation. And um, he does a phenomenal job of laying out the information and doing it in such a way to where we can receive new information and determine for ourselves how to use that information on our own operation. Because I think that's key. There is no prescription to what we're talking about here. And um, what we have to do is we have to determine a place-based agricultural system that works for all of us. So when you hear these gentlemen talk, they're going to give you examples about what works for them, what didn't work for them, Um, but just, you know, really internalize that and and think about it as you go. But let's just kick things off here. For the first question of the panel, I would like for each of you to give us a brief introduction, a little something about yourself, and, and let's talk about what was the first action that led you down this path.
5: This
0: is Brian Hora.
5: Okay, so I'll, I'll start off with this. And um, really our, our journey started um, June of 2015, May of 2015 actually. Mitchell had an internship up in Minnesota. He called me and said, I'm gonna be their soil health expert. And when he came home a few weeks later, he had all this, he, he's telling me he was, saw a cover crop seeded into some fields in June. I'm like, well, that's kind of crazy. And then he had this information uh, called the Haney Soil Health Test. I'm like, what is that? And in 2015, it was, what is that? Um, And what is soil health? And that was the time, if you recall back, when you started seeing things in farm magazines, that's when it started. So he had put together this spreadsheet and that's kind of where his software piece started was a simple Excel spreadsheet to show a grower this is what's going on in your field and as you do this year after year, we can compare it by putting them side by side on a spreadsheet. In the meantime, we were also starting to adopt cover crops on our farm. There was a lot of cover crops in Washington County. Um, a lot of cereal rye planted. And it's due to a lot of work by our local soil conservation county committee people, um, our local NRCS office, that really have pushed the incentives um, for us to be the number one county in the state of Iowa as far as cover crop acres planted. So we started doing that and have been monitoring with the help of the Haney Soil Health Test. And we do a lot of testing um, in certain fields we test weekly. Um, same locations, um, testing cover crop versus no cover crop strips. We are actually seeing big results in the last few years and seeing really important trends as to what is really driving soil and plant nutrition.
3: Yeah, so I like that because you really you lean right into our next speaker, Dr. Rick Haney. All right, take it away, Rick. Take it
2: away. So I'll tell you a fun little story. Uh, about two weeks ago, I gave my last webinar for USDA. I work for USDA ARS and I retired to the end of this month. So I ended up being at the farmer that I used to work for back in, in when I was 18 years old. I gave it from his house. That's where I got interested in agriculture. And I was sitting in his house giving a webinar to you know, about the stuff that we developed and you know our passion about how soil works. Now, to be fair, I plowed my share of soil, put out anhydrous, you know, did it all wrong. So I know how to do that, but. You know, my, my passion, as corny as it sounds, is I watch those guys I work for struggle to make money every year, borrow a million dollars, uh, you know, on, to plant something or buy something that could die. And I just don't know how they did it. And so my job was to go to graduate school and try to learn how what could I do to help them. And that's where the test was really developed for, and that's where it came from. Now, you guys will like this because those farmers I used to work for, they don't use my test. <laughs> you know Why? We had somebody ask and say, like, well, we grew up with him. He's an idiot. Yes. <laughs> but then they finally started using it. And, you know, for 30 years later, and they're like, my God, this really works. I sure appreciate all of you being here and interested because the reality is the future is our soil. And how we it, it, it hits so many more levels than it's just the soil. It's the soil. It's us. It's our lifestyle. It's our mentality. You know, bringing communities back together. All those things are really, really important.
6: So uh, if everybody can tell, I don't talk like y'all. I'm, uh, I'm Russell Hedrick. I'm a first-generation farmer. I was a, a career fireman for a while. I was always interested in agriculture, so 2012, decided to start farming. We rented our first 30 acres and uh, planted a corn crop, but before I got into that, you know, I went around to to farmers in our area ask them what I needed to farm with they said you know 150 horsepower tractor 20 foot disc luckily we were so broke we couldn't afford it and there was this cheap thing called a coulter that you could put on a planter in no-till and uh, I happened to go by the NRCS office and they showed me a video if you haven't seen it it's it's been out a while but it's called undercover farmers and it really showcased farmers in North Carolina pretty much all the way up into North Dakota, South Dakota. And it kind of showed me a different way to farm. So I think it's I think it's been a little easier for me to make the transition because I knew absolutely nothing about farming. So I didn't have to unlearn, you know, how other generations had done it before me. And it wasn't as crazy to me to try something new. And so we we started out with um, with just cover crops for an erosion and, and a weed issue. Um, winter weeds we were trying to control. And I, I heard Mitchell make a statement the other day on a podcast. He said that you know, typically when farmers look at you know soil health principles, it's kind of a defense. You know, we're trying to you know prevent erosion, prevent nutrient loss, and and really it's it's a good offensive tool to where we can you know build soil aggregation, increase infiltration. Um, I would say the one shining moment in in our farming is when I got introduced to Rick Haney. I had been using a standard Milik three. I go down to Texas, I meet Rick, and, you know, the first thing he said, he's like, well, you know, they use a very caustic acid when they do that test. You know, what does your farm see? And my farm sees rain and, and the, the root exudates that he uses in his test. So over four years, we started implementing the Haney test on our farm. Our lead corn person at NC State University, I, I'll talk about it because they went to a meeting And he called me out by name and said the way that I farm would never be profitable, it would never yield well, I didn't need a fancy test like Rick's, you know, I could just use what the state's been doing for 30 years. And so that year they had to give me an award for the highest corn yield in North Carolina and the second highest soybean yield. I've never smiled so much in my life. I was actually uh, speaking at a conference up in Maryland and drove all through the night to make sure I was there that they had to give me that award. I hope he sees this video and knows that he was wrong once again.
4: Hi, <laughs> um, I've already talked, obviously. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and just make it unanimous on plugging this guy at the end of the table down here. Um, I can't thank you enough for having the, the fortitude and the insight to come up with a test that it, it makes total sense. You've changed this industry, and, and thank you so much. Again, here's
2: Dr. Riccini. You guys are making me emotional, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I want to say this, and thank you very much for saying that, but this is not my test. This is nature's test. My job was to try to mimic nature in the field because all the lab tests we've been doing up until now is like, let's get the soil in the lab and, and beat it up with whatever we think we should do. We, this, is a, this is a more of a test that asks your soil what we can do to help it. So this is a nature, this is more of a nature-based test. So, you know, I like to take credit for it, but, you know, this system's been designed long before I showed up. But, yeah.
3: A couple key points that I'm taking away from this is taking a look at, at nature's image. And, and two of you said this, what is my farm telling me? You know, that that's so impactful. And then another thought is if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got, right? So one thing that th- this passion that I think a lot of us share is this this change, this percent change. And, you know, Rick, Rick has gone all in. This is the way that Russell started. Brian was eased into it, you know, and then and then dove head first. And then we got, you know, Rick here. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what does this look like for scaling? And, and I get involved in a lot of regenerative conversations with companies, with organizations, and it's the buzzword right now, right? So let's talk about scale. And, you know, Rick, if you want to start and we'll move the microphone this way, what do we need to do to scale this movement?
4: Yeah. Um, the, the most common question that i get asked after like a presentation i just gave is who's going to support me when you get in your truck and drive home so you need that that group that's going to answer questions help with anything they can um that's why this county like here is so awesome because there are so many resources to go to to talk to in this county right here you don't have to go very far uh, in the state of Wisconsin, they've got over 40 groups that get together. That's what needs to happen. They're they're being led by the farmer. They understand. Farmers want to learn from other farmers. Nothing against academia, but honestly, a farmer wants to learn from another farmer. So that support network is very, very important. Te- teach the teachers. Here
0: is Russell Hedrick from Hickory, North Carolina.
6: So talking about scale... You know, like I said before, going into this, I didn't have any—I call them bad habits. I, d- I really had no idea what I was doing, and and even though I believed in in Haney and, and the Haney test, it took us four years to implement his soil test across our whole operation. You know, we did twenty five percent each year. We still do a standard state soil test where I can compare what the state says versus what Rick says, and on average, you know, over a thousand acres. If you look at just MP and K, we save anywhere between eighty dollars to about $100,000 a year in fertility. You know, that's a large amount of money that we're not putting out there and risking for, you know, waiting on rain if we're going to have a drought, a flood. And then also, you know, just looking at the scale of cover crops, looking at 90% of our acres, we don't have to go back and make a second pass for any kind of chemicals. And to save $20,000, dollars $40,000 a year on chemicals, Instead of riding in a tractor all day, riding in a sprayer all day, um, a lot of us talk about quality of life. I can take my daughter and go on vacation to the mountains. I can drive to the beach. You know, It, it really has cut back the amount of time that we have to actually be on the farm and, and doing work.
0: Here's my dad again, Brian Hora.
5: Two quick things on scaling that I will hit on. Um, one on the the testing and then another on on inputs and how that has made things affordable for us. But it depends on what results you're looking for, what information you're looking for. Am I trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to apply for my crop or what do I need to have to report for my manure management plan? But we're trying to learn that and, and by by doing that weekly, um, yeah, we, we couldn't afford to do that because a lot of new products on the market now that are there to improve plant health, soil health, whatever. And so we've worked to try to help generate more data for those companies which has helped offset costs for us which um it's just part of the equation as far as the also trying to save on some of the costs russell you mentioned um using the rye and uh, using that as a weed control mechanism and a lot of the growers in this area um are starting to to do more with letting rye grow bigger and um as you get out north of town you'll see a lot of ours it's got it's it's been sprayed with roundup now Um, The heads are all on it. It just got sprayed, started spraying two weeks ago. A crazy situation. I was ready to get going the week prior. Um, It was time to go, but it it started raining. And um, not the best scenario for spraying Roundup, but I was spraying a quart of Roundup, straight Roundup on rye, and I was running my windshield wipers on the sprayer doing it Um, because I could get in the field at that time. Um, We just had some crazy weather. It killed it. Two days later, you could tell exactly where I sprayed. It, it was knocking it down. Um, so things can work, but that um, on the the cost effectiveness of that, I think most of my soybean acres this year will have some touch-up. They're enlist they're beans. I'll outline some waterways and some field boundaries with some enlist, but most of the beans are going to have that one-quarter roundup on them for herbicide this year, and that's it. Um, there's, um, that's, that's quite a change when I was raising non-GMO beans Five six years ago and spending fifty three dollars an acre on herbicides, there's a, a tremendous a tremendous amount of savings. And we've done some of the same things with with the fertility, um, not quite that extreme, but it's close. Um, overall, we've reduced our N P and K inputs by forty five percent on the farm um, over five years. Um, and our soil test data is showing that our nutrient levels in the field are actually increasing. Again,
2: here's Dr. Riccini. Uh, my only scalability story was in 2012. I gave a talk in Omaha, Nebraska, and when I got finished, this uh, older gentleman. And I'm old, but this guy was like 90, which I just loved. He was so awesome. He stood up and he goes, "I ain't paying no $50 for a soil test, but I can get it done for eight. And I said, "Well, yeah, you're right. That's I don't I don't blame you." I said, "Well, that $8 soil test uh, save you uh, 30 bucks an acre on inputs." And I said, "If you're farming," 100 acres, my math is right here, that would be $3,000, right? So I said, so you're not willing to spend $50 to save 3000 And he just, he just stood there with his head down. He goes, well, I guess I'd be a damned idiot if I didn't now, wouldn't I? And I dropped the, dropped the mic.
0: Here is Russell Hedrick from Hickory, North Carolina. I got,
6: I got one more thing to add. Um, being a full-time fireman, sometimes we had off time. And the one thing I'll say is I was good at finding people's phone numbers that had no idea who I was. Um, I called Rick Haney at the lab one day and said, hey, I'm Russell, I farm. I think at that time maybe 200 acres. He spent two or three hours, you know, talking to me about the biological indicators of the test, talking to me about, I'm trying to say this as nice as I can. He dumbed it down for me. Um, And he taught me how to read his soil test. And then I started calling all kinds of people that had no idea who I was. And so I think that my part is to focus on a peer network. Um, find a farmer in your area that's already doing it. If you're here close, you've got the horror family or, or wherever you're at. And if not, find somebody who is experienced. You can talk to another farmer. I, I have nothing against people that work in universities, but at the end of the day, they don't put the same money that I do out here and hope and pray for rain and that we have a good season and if they don't have money on the line, they don't understand really the stresses that we go through as farmers.
3: (laughs) I I think that's great and I think that what's really important about scaling regen is having transparency and integrity. So I want to briefly ask you guys, answer this question briefly and then we're going to get to the Q&A that's popping up here. I want to know what you tried that didn't work. Give me, let's get real. Tell me, tell me about the. You know, Rick talked about plan A, plan B, down to plan double Z. What did you try that was all the rage that you thought was, you know, going to be good? What didn't work? What failed? Let's talk about some failures. Yeah, I'll
2: go first. So uh, I married a woman when I was 21 and divorced her at 24 and was single for 18 years. And I tried to stay single and I failed. (laughs) Yeah, but see, you guys are the
6: farmers, farmers, not me. You should all know that Rick has the most amazing wife now, though. Um, More is not always better. So when we first started doing cover crops, we started with, I think it was like 20 to 30 pounds of rye in our mix. Good weed control, good nutrient cycling. Saw lots of good things, and I was like, 120, 180 pounds. We're going to do some check strips. This is going to look Fantastic. And I think we made like 50 bushel corn. Um, We didn't understand, you know, carbon to nitrogen ratios. We've had failures where, you know, we thought we were going to make really good crops, had great weed control, but um, we kind of tied the system up. So, you know, one of our failures was, you know, not understanding how cover crops work, um, how to make a a blend and and use those correctly to kind of balance out that carbon to nitrogen ratio. And then some other failures we had, Uh, We had a farm one year. We let it go really late. We were going to plant some corn silage uh, for a dairy farmer. The cereal rye was like seven feet tall. Um, We sprayed it with Roundup. Uh, Most of the time we use Gramoxone. And if you spray rye with Roundup, there's a point where it's green and it's good to plant through, and then there's a point where it's really dead and good to plant through. And anything in between that... um, our planter made beautiful round bells and carried them from one end of the field to the other. Um, we didn't even try to scatter the residue out. We, we left it there. I was like, you know, if we bring some cows out here in the fall, if there's still some stuff here, maybe they'll eat it. Um, but that stuff will just wrap on everything. And I really, if I had a stick of dynamite that day, I would have blown the equipment up and I probably wouldn't have been farming now. But you know, just understand you will have failures you you'll have issues where you have to adjust your equipment a little bit, but um it's definitely worth the uh the time and the effort to put into it.
4: yeah, these are all good answers um, in the world that we are in now, I no longer have a chemical that can that can save me so the first failure that I had was we planted. Uh, rape or canola into a cocktail that you cannot mechanically terminate that. It absolutely swallowed the corn crop up and suffocated it. So it's a learning curve. When you move down these roads, like Russell just said, you've got to figure out what species are going to work in your certain operation. There is no recipe. None of us have an answer for everyone in this building you have to find what's going to work for you and we've given you uh, i in the in my presentation and what you've heard here today we've saved a lot of you at least four years of grief in my opinion of some of the examples we've laid out we can speed everyone up and maybe not have them fall into those same pitfalls that we fell into. This regenerative movement is really gaining traction because it's starting to be linked and tied to to climate or carbon. So if you're going to go into those carbon markets, you're going to have to learn to farm this
5: way. So all the more reason to get started. So as we've done numerous things on the farm, and Mitchell brings different ideas to me every year of trying different crops, different production systems. And we've done, um, we've tried the relay cropping, we've tried tried some double cropping, raising um, both wheat and rye. And, and this year, I don't know, so far it looks pretty good. We were going to relay crop 30 acres of rye. Uh, beans were planted uh, like the 23rd of, August, of April. Um, they look really good. Um, because of all the rain we had a few weeks ago, uh, we now have 85 acres of relay crop rye a year ago that relay crop rye um, was only three quarters of a bushel difference in the, the beans i'm sorry the bean yield was only three quarters of a bushel difference in the rest of the field where it was terminated early um, so if you can raise 68 bushel beans and 35 bushel rye on the same field with one pass of herbicide um, you can make some money on it so some of those failures have turned into some success success stories and so we just keep trying and Um, realize that yeah you're gonna have some small failures along the way and small setbacks and but keep trying because there's there's a way to make these things work
3: yeah that leads us right into Ryan H asked the question on the website has your use of cover crops or regenerative practices changed your crop insurance APH prevent plant? and so if just one of you wants to grab that question if you've noticed any changes uh, what do you think
5: on our, on our crop insurance, we're doing very minimal. Um, next year, it may not be at all. Uh, this year is basically just to get enough in case we had to replant. But we're not finding need because we, we're seeing yield stability.
4: Yeah, we're uh, I'm on year three of no multi-parallel insurance. I've no longer signed up for any government programs, and I took no CFAT payments in 2020. So it can be done.
3: Thank you. All right, getting some really good questions here. Arlen asks, how do you explain that yield dragon corn planted into green rye tending to increase in lighter, poor soils? Can we mimic practices being used in Washington County?
6: I think the biggest thing as farmers is we have to understand how nature works, and One of the things that we use on our farm with Rick's test is the biological indicators. There's a CO2 burst that we can actually see the microbial activity as they're breaking residue down, and they release that into CO2. And the other thing is the carbon to nitrogen ratio. Um, You know, when I was talking earlier about our failures, and I said we planted 30 pounds of rye and had great success, we planted 120 pounds of rye and had a massive failure in corn— um nature has balance and so if you can understand that that soil has a carbon to nitrogen ratio the biology in the ground has a carbon to nitrogen ratio if you go out there and put way too much rye you're taking every bit of nitrogen organic and inorganic and you're tying it up in the residue and once you start getting so high in the carbon to nitrogen ratio it may be 12 even 18 months until you're starting to see that breakdown from biology so that's kind of how i'm sure maybe how Rick does it as well, but we balance our carbon to nitrogen ratios in our cover crop mixes by adding legumes, Um, crimson clover, vetch, winter peas, um, anything with a lower carbon to nitrogen ratio will actually take up and, and supply nitrogen as well to that soil profile. So when the biology breaks down that cover crop, it needs a couple forms of nitrogen, a couple forms of carbon. And if you lock that system up, it really can affect our yields.
2: So I, I got to ask this question a while back about yield drag because we get this a lot. Like if you're your conventional till and you've been doing it this way and then you decide to go no-till and start using cover crops, is there a yield drag? And everybody's like, yes, and the question is why. The answer is think about what you've been doing. You've been farming your, your farm for you actually been farming microorganisms. So you got a certain group that, that reacts under the system that you're using, and when you switch that system, it takes a while for those microorganisms to show up and start work, doing their work. And, it, and, they, and, and nature is not on a yearly timeline basis like we'd like it to be, so you make money every year, but it has its own time. But that's why there's a yield drag, and that's that transition, is you're bringing in a new group of microorganisms in your soil based on starting to plant cover crops and getting diversity. And so just kind of expect that and plan for it and, and be patient.
3: Thank you, guys. And I think um, we have have just a few more minutes here. And one topic that, you know, we're talking about having the data, using the topsoil. Okay, so you're doing that. So you're improving your soil health. You know, you're producing a more nutrient-dense product. So what? Okay. We need new markets. And I think that the, the, the scaling of regenerative agriculture might be... Um, the development of new markets and kind of breaking down what, you know, what's what what's what we've always done. So specifically, Russell and Rick, give us how do you break into these new markets? And as a producer, what do you need to be doing to be ready to execute a new market?
6: Um, so going into new markets, um we really have tried to do vertical integration on our operation uh we started with um, introducing livestock to our farm which at one point was a huge mistake ray archuleta said i had to buy cows so i bought springers i thought that meant that they had their calves in the spring is actually i went to the fire department to work and they sprung over the fence in the highway and then highway patrol called me so we left that and went to stalkers and stalkers were better and then Ray's like, oh, buy sheep. So we bought sheep and then we realized that when the wind blows, they die. And the wind they wouldn't survive in Iowa. We don't it's not near as windy in North Carolina, but they wouldn't make it here. Um so we got rid of sheep and then uh we do pasture pork and I sell most of our stuff on Facebook. Um we'll put that we're you know slaughtering pigs or cows and typically we can sell everything on Facebook. Um you know, cost us absolutely nothing. But instead of getting you know 70, 80 cents a pound for a hog at a at a sell barn, uh, we're averaging anywhere from about five fifty to nine dollars a pound. And then we started looking at stuff that other people weren't doing. We started uh, growing, you know, open pollinated corn, reeds, yellow dent, bloody butcher, blue hopi, and we grinded up into grits and cornmeal. That's a big thing in the south. Um, and then we also. Um, started looking at you know our test weight on our corn is average of 62 to 64 pounds our our test weight is always really good Um, you know my family used to make illegal alcohol now we you know we partnered with the distillery i didn't bring samples everybody always asked um but you know we partnered with foothills distillery and um, they make moonshine and um, several different bourbons and whiskeys out of, out of our farm products. And, and there's other distilleries that we work with as well, um, even as far as, you know, up in Indiana. So it, it really was just calling people. If you can call somebody and explain to them and tell your story, that's the big thing is be an advocate for your farm. You know, tell, talk to them about how you're farming, what's different about it. Um, and and really explain your story well. It really does help with the bottom line. I mean, instead of getting you know three fifty a bushel last fall, you know most of our corn would have been between six fifty to ten dollars a bushel um, if it was in you know regular form. And then if it goes into liquid, you know bourbon sells pretty good. Well, you know everybody likes to have a drink every now and then, most of us. But you know start looking at those markets and and start you know it does take a little bit of time, but give some responsibility to you know your kids on the operation or. You know, if you can find somebody that's good with the Internet, um, you know, start trying to build your marketing and, and, and do that as well.
4: Yeah, I'll have to piggyback on that. Vertical integration. We've got livestock on the farm. We're building fence all the time. Uh, we are getting ready to go online with, uh, with natural meat sales. I always tell the story at home. Most of the farmers at home plant two crops, corn and soybeans, and we're up to six. Just don't think that you need to be delivering 20 miles from home. It, we're, we're taking uh, uh, soybeans two hours from home and corn an hour from home now. So um, sometimes you got you to gotta move to where that market is. But then as this gains traction, Jess, and, and, and gets momentum going, more buyers are going to make it more available. There's going to be regional depots to, to bring this product to. To market
3: you cannot google regenerative agriculture without getting hundreds of thousands possibly even millions of hits so the time is now the resources are there or or are almost there um, this information is is for everybody out there nobody owns regenerative okay and if somebody tells you they do they're wrong we own regenerative, and we're the ones that can work together, build the systems, and do something different.
0: So, as you could hear from today's episode, the field day was quite the day and jam packed with awesome content. Really appreciate everyone coming down and appreciate the podcast making the trip down to southeast Iowa to revisit Washington County. We're going to continue some of the content from the field day next week on the podcast. Zach will be back and join me so I don't have to be so lonely anymore. And Zach and I actually moderated a panel discussion at the field day. Tune in next week as we get Zach back and we wrap up this season with the awesome discussion about carbon. Let's see what we've got in our voicemail box here today.
7: Hi, this is Scott Gillespie from Alberta, Canada, and I have my own regenerative agriculture consulting company called Plants Dig Soil, and I found it really interesting in your in your podcast. I'm up to the the dividing line between counties, and I found it interesting how it takes the extension work and the entrepreneurial work and the cover crop culture all have to be working together there. I'm trying to bring in regenerative stuff in the area, but it is tough trying to to bring it when there's not the other supports around. So it has really been really interesting to me and uh, looking forward to getting through the rest of the episodes, but I thought I'd give you a message right now. And uh, one more thing you said in your greeting there, you you like a question too. So I I still am looking forward to when you're going to have the sheep farmer that milks them and makes cheese out of it. So, I'm I'm hoping to to hear from that person this coming season.
0: Hey Scott, really appreciate your voicemail and keep up the good work in promoting regenerative ag as a consultant. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you in terms of you know, trying to help farmers to implement the principles of soil health and do consulting and stuff with them. For me, obviously, I'm lucky that I'm right here in Washington County and have a lot of great farmers that I'm able to learn from and build that community around. And I think that's the same thing, you know, for my advice on your end is just lean into those farmers that you have that are willing to lead and willing to, you know, dig in head first, utilize them, you know, and be able to just uplift their voice and uplift their message, even if they're not the most, you know, the, they're not the well-known farmer. They're not the one that's out there really touting themselves, but you can be that voice for them and you can help them to connect with others and to continue to learn and be able to, you know, amplify their message. As to the sheep, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I, I was not put in charge of tracking down the, the sheep milker. But, you know, whoever is, we're going to have to get them sent our way and get some sheep milking and some some sheep cheese talk here on the podcast. So I'm looking forward to it just as much as you are. Appreciate the call. That's it for Fieldwork Today. Our show is produced by Annie Baxter with lots of great help this season from Lori Stern, Amy Mayer, Mike Langseth, and Corey Suzuki. Kristen Schmidt runs our social media. Ellie Lyons does our marketing, and Lauren Humper is our project coordinator. Eric Romani and Veronica Rodriguez mix our show. Our theme music was composed and performed by Johnny Vince Evans. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next time.